they and they were saying there will be runs on the banks that was the other triggering thing that they're predicting runs which means they know there's some big hazard out there <laughs> the fed's just not doing it i mean they, they are refusing to rush in and save the markets and save the banks what they're doing is driving interest rates up suddenly quickly and that is breaking the offshore dollar market that's breaking the euro dollar market um but the problem is of course it's also breaking our stock market and as we're seeing it's starting to break some small banks but it does seem to me that that is our leverage we the people actually have the power with our deposits it's our money that they are leveraging and all banking depends on leveraging funds so With the global economy being in shambles and central bankers moving towards a reset, it's never been a better time to protect your wealth by owning precious metals. Contact Andy at milesfranklin.com. Tell him Sarah sent you. He promised me he will guarantee you the lowest price anywhere in the country. Remember, email Andy at milesfranklin.com and tell him Sarah sent you. It's never been a better time to protect your future than now. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have the great Ellen Brown coming to the program. She she wrote a book back uh, 14, 15 years ago, and that's when I first started knowing about her. And I interviewed her about 10 years ago. That's when I, I mean, she's just so great. She changed the, the paradigm of people back with her book called The Web of Debt, where she talked about money just being printed. And not a lot of people knew that but it really got into the consciousness of, of people. And she's, she's since then, you know, she's now the chairman of the Public Banking Institute and very well respected when it comes to banking. And I wanted to get her on because I wanted to pick her brain on what's really going on in the world and get her perspective. And the, things are going down and we don't know the timing, of course. I keep saying I don't know the timing, but there has been cracks in the system and, and some obvious things you know, whether it was the Fed meeting that happened a few months ago that people where they said they're not going to tell everybody the systematic risk of the system, only the people who make 250000 or more. And she's going to talk about that. And the fact that those of us who make $250,000 or less or not make, but have $250,000 or less in the bank, we are not insured by the FDIC really because they only have, they can only cover 2% or a little less than 2% of all the money that are in banks. So we're going to talk about that and what really was said and was not said by the FDIC in that meeting that occurred um, back in November. And then we are also going to talk about some of the, the cracks. There's some banks that are starting to have some issues. And then we're going to talk about the shadow banking system, the euro dollar, which really the euro dollar is not the euro dollars, not euro based as much as offshore accounts, U.S. dollars that are offshore, Cayman Islands and such and what that means. Um, and this is a really good, informative uh, interview, but I want to tell you, I have another one for you. We redid this whole thing. And so for my members, I'm going to post the first one we did. And that one was more me and Ellen just, we haven't talked for a while. And we just like talked about a lot of things that she's like, you know what, I need to redo this and do it more from what being the chairman of the pub public banking institute, I need to like talk about things more, get to stay on topic. We got into all sorts of stuff in the other one. So for my members, I told her it would be just my members. And uh, so you can see that uh, either it's going to, I have a new Substack now. So you can see it on Substack. You can see it at sarahwestall.tv or Ebonier. I am going to probably slowly move Ebonier to my Substack. I'm not sure because I want to use Ebonier as a charity for trafficking victims and other things. I'm, but for now, I'm still doing it as my private. And um, But I think I'm going to move it to Substack and sarwestall.tv. But for now, it's the same. So you can watch this anywhere you want on those three channels. And I, for those of you, I've been really growing on my Substack because what I'm using that for is to publish. I write, it's been therapeutic for me to write. And so I've been writing more. And so my Substack, I'm going to be putting some of my personal stuff that I've written on there. And then sarahwestall.com has grown beyond me, which I am really happy about because I have into other independent journalists and other things that I post there. So that's still newsletter still intact, but as more of a general news site. 
and then I'll have my own Substack newsletter. So I'm doing multiple things. So you'll be able to see Ellen's interview there that I did before this one, before we redid it. And there's some interesting things in that one um, if you're interested in seeing that. So I'll have a link below for that. And then I also want to remind you, I got to tell you every single time, the United for Free Speech, we have this censored conference that's premiering on March 24th. I have really good people like Scott Ritter, who was, I think he's number one on the Ukrainian hit list now. I have Kyle Kepper, who's his brother of, of Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada. Really good people speaking. Mike Adams is going to be speaking. Uh, uh, Tom Rents and Cynthia McKinney and Dave Janda. And we got really good people who are lining up to talk. So I hope you uh, take some time. But the really important part of that is we're raising money for initiatives to make a difference on this freedom of speech issue that is affecting all of us. You know, right for doctors to give informed consent to their patients, uh, relooking at how they're implementing, not taking away Section 230, but the fact that they're using Section 230 to give this blanket immunity to these big tech companies for no matter what they do. That was not the original intent of the law. And so they're interpreting it wrong. So we're going after that too. There's a lot of things that we are wanting to go after. We want the initiatives that'll make a difference. We don't want to just talk. We don't want to just, uh, you know, go after things for, to, to create a lot of attention. We want to get things done. And the other thing is we don't want to spend a lot of money doing this. That's why we're doing the online conference. We're hoping that everything that we raise through ticket sales and through donations will go towards these initiatives. That's the goal. We're going to keep these costs down as much as possible because so many of these nonprofits spend so much money on other things. And we I'm not paying myself. Most people are volunteers. We're going to keep it that way. So anyways, go to unitedforfreespeech.com and you'll find all sorts of information there on the Censored Conference. Okay, let's get into my really interesting conversation with the great Ellen Brown. We are honored to join, be joined by the great Ellen Brown. Thank you so much for rejoining the program. Uh, thanks, Sarah. It's always great to talk to you. Well, you are a big brain that I want to talk to because there are obviously a lot of vulnerabilities in the system. We just saw a couple banks here in Silicon Valley that are struggling there. I just read about uh, one of the CEO is saying, Hey, if you guys all panic, there will be a run on the bank and your assets will be at risk. So there are banks that are starting to uh, show some signs of cracks here you wrote an amazing article about, um, well, it's amazing in the sense that it gives us insight into how dangerous these derivatives are and where how vulnerable the whole system is. Can you talk about that a little bit? And then I want to get into some specific elements. Okay, well, um, I'll start with the FDIC because that was what was triggering a lot of, you know, a lot of podcasters were saying the banks are going to take your money, that your money's not safe in the bank, etc. Uh, so the FDIC in November had a, um, a webcast that went on for three and a half hours. So they didn't only talk about bail-ins, but they did talk about the bail-in provisions of the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010, which was um, headlined as ending bailouts. In other words, no more taxpayer bailouts. We, the people, would no longer be on the hook for these big banks when they went bankrupt, as we were in 2008, 2009. But instead, what the, what the banks were authorized to do and told to do was to take their, uh, their creditors' money and turn it into capital. So instead of, and the problem was, or the thing that set off alarm bells is that deposits are, your deposits are considered, you as a depositor are considered a creditor of the bank. That's why your bank pays you a few pennies every month on your, on your, on your deposits because, you know, they're saying, see, we're, we're paying you interest. It's our money that legally it's their money. It's just like if you take out a loan, you can spend that money on whatever you want. You, you're not, it's not like, or say you use your credit card, you can use that credit for whatever you want. It's not Bank of America's or whoever is backing your, 
backing your credit card. So same deal, when you put your money in the bank, you become a creditor of the bank and they can use that money. I mean, what they normally use it for is liquidity to back their loans when when the borrower pulls money out of the bank, for, you, you put the money, or well, anyway, when the borrower draws out the money that they have borrowed, the bank needs to get liquidity from somewhere. And what they do is they pull it from their pull it pool of deposits or they go to the repo market or they go to the Fed, et cetera. But they they borrow it from somewhere. And sure. the cheapest and so that way. So your money is their money at that point. You are loaning them money. And so exactly. you no longer have a say as to what's happening with your money because it's just like you when you use your credit card. And you were going to say that that's the cheapest money for them. Go ahead. Yeah. So, but normally, I mean, this was quite unusual that the that the um, that the banks were actually told, and this is not by the Fed. They were told by Congress, you know, with the with this Dodd Frank Act, that they would to use that money for um, capital to recapitalize themselves. So that. The FDIC in this long three and a half hour presentation or uh, webinar said they said several triggering things that set off the podcasters. One was that um, should, they were questioning, should we tell people, you know, because we could trigger the very run that we're trying to prevent. If we tell people their money's at risk, risk in the banks, they'll all be pulling their money out. And then we will have a run on the bank, the very thing we don't want to happen. Um, so they were saying that they should basically tell the ones that were at risk, which would be the, the um, depositors over $250,000, because the presumption is that the FDIC covers your deposits up to $250,000, that you will be safe. The thing they didn't discuss and that everybody worries about is that they only have enough, even with the 100,000, 100, 100, sorry, 100, 100 billion dollar credit line they have with the treasury, they still only have about 2% of their deposits covered they they actually insure 9.6 billion dollars worth of um i'm sorry 9.6 trillion i'm getting my team well i know it gets to such huge numbers it's just crazy but so that's disingenuous right they're warning the people over 250,000 but and they're saying well we don't want to run on the bank because we don't want to spook the smaller people but the smaller people are just as much at risk is what you're saying because they they just can't possibly deal with any kind of systematic problem. Yeah, because well, it's only two percent. Go ahead. Well, they and they were saying there will be runs on the banks. That was the other triggering thing that they're predicting runs, which means they know there's some big hazard out there. Well, the big concern is the the derivatives that's at least that's yes. one major concern according to the bank for international settlements there are 600 billion dollars worth of derivatives hanging out there somewhere not necessarily in the u.s and uh, um other uh, some commentators say a quadrillion i've seen two quadrillion two and a half it's quadrillion. so crazy nobody knows because yes. it's all in the shadow banking system so they're not you know they're secret like they're private deals between parties and it's basically gambling it's just like you can bet on whatever you want and the reason it's gotten so big is that um you can bet on something you don't own. So it's like going to the racetrack, you can bet on the horses, even though you don't own the horse, but that there is the temptation then to make the thing go bankrupt that you're gonna collect on. In other words, burn down the barn to get the insurance. I mean, that too. And that's but basically what do, happened okay. to Lehman Brothers. Go ahead. That's what happened to Lehman Brothers. Okay, so we're gonna tell, but at this point though, if they bring down the barn, burn it down so they can collect is there i mean there isn't enough for them to collect anyway so they just want to be first to collect right yeah well so then and that's the catch <laughs> that uh, in 2005 in the bankruptcy law the bankruptcy law of 2005 that's where the one that was the one where they said that uh students you know couldn't couldn't file bankruptcy basically and 
which was outrageous. They should be able to file bankruptcy like That's anybody right. else. That's yeah. right. Um, but that that when they in that law change, they also said that derivatives and repo uh, loans have um, super priority in bankruptcy. So they're not even in the bankruptcy court. Like the assets don't even go to the ba bankruptcy court. They can just rush in and claim the collateral and say that's ours, and they've got it. The shadow banking now, but and that is the euro dollar, which is not the euro dollar. It's like the Cayman Islands and all these offshore oh, yeah, loans, well, that's right? A, that's another subject. Too. Oh, that's another one because I thought they had they had first right to all the money over, and that's one of the main issues that we have to deal with here is that the yeah, first well, one in is the one and they are the they're they set their scam up to be the first one in well the year that you're a dollar market is a you know that's another issue that um there are most dollars are actually offshore the offshore dollar market is bigger than the than the u.s dollar market of real dollars and um, it's that all started in the 1950s when there were places like Russia that didn't really trust, didn't want to leave their money in U.S. banks. And so they would put their dollar, they would get paid in dollars, you know, for foreign exchange. And they would take those dollars and they would put it, put them into offshore banks. So there was a quite a, because the U.S. was the biggest economy then, we were dealing with all these countries, selling them stuff and or buying and stuff the city of them. London too, right? I mean, because there's that's what they do. They use a lot of the offshore bank accounts to uh, every there's there's soft crime that uses the offshore bank accounts. There's to dodge taxes and those kinds of things. And then there's hard crimes that use offshore bank accounts. And then there's countries that do just because they don't trust the United States. Yeah, and the problem with the offshore well, all banks, you know just create the money they lend on their books. And then in order to clear the clear checks, uh, to move the money from one bank to another, they have to draw on bank reserves. They used to draw on gold, but then when we went off the gold standards, they just drew, drew off, or they just transferred Federal Reserve reserves, which is a totally different banking system that we, the people don't have access to, only the banks trade in these reserves. Um, so in the offshore dollar market, they do not have access to Fed reserves. But when things were going well, when interest rates were 0.25%, then the banks would just be creating all this extra money on their books, just like all banks do in the form of loans. But if you start having runs on those banks, as we just saw, for example, with Credit Suisse, which had an $88 billion run of their big institutional investors are pulling money out and credit suisse is one of the big derivatives banks um so for backstop what they do is they go to their own central bank which then has a swap line with the fed so the federal reserve for at least since 2001 or 2000 has um or actually, I guess it goes back, sorry, it goes back to the Greenspan put. So 1987, um, the bankers have always been able to rely on the Fed and the, and the market, the, you know, the stock market has always relied on the Fed to step in and save them. And that was called the Fed put. Um, but, and it's and swap lines are part of that. But the Fed put, as you wrote in your article, has lost its power. So- it worked for a because, while. What's going on now? Because it doesn't have the ability to do what it used to do, which is why we're in the situation we're in. Go ahead. Well, it doesn't, the Fed's just not doing it. I mean, they're refusing to rush in and save the markets and save the banks. What they're doing is driving interest rates up suddenly, quickly, and that is breaking the offshore dollar market. That's breaking the euro dollar market. Um, but the problem is, of course, it's also breaking our stock market. And as we're seeing, it's starting to break some small banks. The one I saw today was Silicon Valley Bank, which is, um, there was Silvergate Bank, but that was a, a crypto bank. And everybody said, well, that was because they were dealing in crypto. So you don't have to worry about that because most banks aren't dealing in crypto. But Silicon Bank was a regular bank. Not not one of the big banks, so it's not like even one of the systemically important banks 
that would have been covered or that's even uh, covered by the bail-in provisions because that only applied to sci-fi banks, the systemically important financial institutions. It's just an ordinary bank going bankrupt. <laughs> Well, yeah. So that means that, I mean, we're hitting ordinary banks now. This is, it's starting to, well, and people are hungry because the insurance or the interest rates are too high. People can't afford food. I mean, there's all sorts of issues that's happening that just our main street. People are feeling it. The banks are feeling it. So the, it, 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 raising interest rates is starting to really affect our world here. But one thing that you were talking about is that what the Fed's doing is it's it's really nailing the offshore bank accounts and other things. So it's as if they're trying to they're go almost at war with this other banking system and trying to collapse it because it makes no sense. And there has been people from the Fed that have been talking about that. What are people ex people from the Fed? What does that mean? And you know, because every war. When you look at, I mean, we know there's more going on. We're nowhere in unconventional war. I mean, that's pretty much established by most people here because it's too weird. And every time there's a currency reset, which we are clearly past the time of having a fiat currency reset, there's always been some kind of war because people are trying to realign with what, what's going on. And that's what appears is happening. Can you talk about what people have said internal, some insiders to the Fed about what they possibly are doing and what some of these dynamics mean. Yeah, well, Danielle DiMartino Booth was a former economic advisor to uh, Richard Fisher, who was head of the um, Texas Fed. And she says that the Fed is trying to break the Fed put. In other words, not always be there <laughs> to always be forced to be responding to market forces. Instead, the Fed wants to be able to do what is it's mandated. Um, what it's supposed to be doing is maintain the value of the currency and maintaining unemployment. Well, or un maintaining employment. Well, it's not doing that. I mean, it's killing employment by raising rates so suddenly. But anyway, that's the, uh, that's what she says. They're trying to break the Fed put. And Tom Luongo is he's not a not a Fed insider, but but he's the one that's uh, written about this the most. That it's the the offshore dollar market, the euro dollar market is what supports the World Economic Forum, and those big players that we're all very leery of, and that um, so we're <laughs> so. In that sense, it's a good thing, but it's a bad thing in the sense that it really is liable to trigger a, a, a systemic bank runs, which is what what they're which what is the word FDIC about. was afraid of when you know when they even did that conference. Well, are we in a catch twenty two here? Because we're trying to we have the BRIC nations, which two thirds of the world are moving towards the BRIC nations solution, and then we have the World Economic Forum and our central banks who are in this whole shadow banking system who, uh, I mean, one's backed by China, which we're really worried about their communist system. The other one's backed by the World Economic Forum and their critters and City of London, and we know what that's all about. I, I mean, uh, what is, what, ideally, we go back to our own and just be stable and then work with all these other, I mean, isn't the BRICS set up so that we can just have our own and just work with them? Actually, I think, I mean, they do have the better system because they're talking about asset-backed currencies, but not, not in the old sense of the old gold dollar where you could take your paper dollar to the bank and say, I want my gold, because that is what that would cause the systemic collapse in the 1930s because the banks did not have enough gold. Um, but they're talking about asset backing just for trading among countries and arguably that's what you know everybody's worried about this cbdc as well if if it's a retail cbdc where we the people are putting our money in the fed as the fed being our baker then they can control it and they could turn it off if they don't like what we're doing as happened with the Canadian truckers, for example, in that. Or being unpersoned. I mean, I don't trust that. I mean, if anybody's read my article about being unpersoned on the internet, now it's like they can turn off, just turn me off that way too. You know, I, I guess I don't trust that. Yeah, totally. 
And uh, but uh, Danielle DiMartino Booth says that there is no way that jo Jerome Powell would support that because it would kill the private banking system. It would take all the deposits out of the private banks and put it in the Fed, which means they wouldn't have the That's liquidity right. they need to cover their loans. Um, and wait, well, before you go into that, before you go in, there's been over 500 heads of banks that have written a letter together and said, hey, this will destroy the whole banking system. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, so isn't the that- The Fed is not going to go for that. But okay. what they are looking at or working on developing is what's called a wholesale CBDC, where, which would be inter between countries. So you could quickly clear trade balances between countries, and that would be the idea. And so the, the one that the um, Eurasian Economic Union, which is the expanded BRICS, the one they're working on, had a, it's Sergei Glaziev is the Russian who, who economic advisor who is putting it together. Originally, what they were talking about was um, a currency that was backed by a basket of commodities. And so it'd be a combination of commodities, various currencies, et cetera. But now they've simplified it down to being just a wholesale currency backed by gold. In other words, just for trading, trading between countries, you could measure the value of your, you could use your own currency is the point. But you would measure the value of that currency. You would figure out your exchange rate by measuring against the, the market value of gold. And you could clear trade balances with gold. If you know, like if one got way out of whack with another, then you just give them some gold and <laughs> settle up. Um, so that, that sounds good. So, I mean, it and, sounds like a better system, but yet do the Chinese have control of it? Or do, I mean... Are, will it be something that is a neutral thing? I mean, where because the current system we have is controlled by the World Economic Forum and some of these people that are really shady characters. I, are we trading one set of shady characters for another set? But maybe it's a better system. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But it I, it does make sense to me that countries should be able to use their own that's currencies. right, and that I mean, I I wrote about this in. Two thousand well, Web of Debt I published in two thousand seven that um, you could use. You need a yardstick to measure the value of currencies against each other, and they're talking about a basket of. Uh, well, they were talking about a basket of currencies and commodities. I I thought maybe the cost of living standard. You know, some way to show wh what your dollar is worth in pesos or in you know in various currencies how much of this basket you could buy with your dollars, how much of this basket with your pesos, et cetera, something like that. You need a yardstick to determine the relative value of one currency as against another. And that's what they've, that's what they're basically proposing is you could trade in your own currency. You could, the, um, you know, Indians, they're doing that. They're trading in their own currencies bilaterally, like between two countries, but not in a whole network of countries yet. But anyway, I think that's where it's going, and that that would be good. Your own in within your own country, you should be able to determine your own po monetary policy. If you want to print dollars till the cows come home, that's your you know your government's business, and then you would have all these little models for different you know, money systems, and let's see which one works best. Does it work well to print? I mean, I think the government should be, the treasury should be able to print for productive things, specifically for productive things. In other words, we need, we need power right now. We need water. We need all these different things. And what, we have a government and we have a government with a printing, you know, the, the power under the constitution to issue dollars. So why not? That's what dollars should be payment for stuff that the people needs need i mean that's what it is it's really a, a placeholder it's like you delivered your services you wanted your services here's a little placeholder that we the people agree to accept for value you know for the value of whatever you delivered to the group that's what it was originally if you go back to the colonial system that's that's what it was that when they first came out with paper 
script. It was the colony of Massachusetts and the government had a, was fighting a border war and he didn't have any money to pay the soldiers. So he gave him these little promissory notes that were, you know, paper script. And then the people accepted them because they would be, it supposedly they were, they were in advance against taxes. So people would accept them because they knew, knew that the government would take them back in taxes. And so it, it circulated as, as a medium of exchange in the, in the economy. So that's basically when we say backed by the full faith and credit of the of the government, we really mean the full faith and credit of the people, meaning we the people agree that we'll accept those for value and we'll give you, you our products in return for value. That's that's what Let it is. Let me ask you, if the this one thing that they said is that we could do a debt jubilee almost going to this brick system, I have three things I want you to talk about. That, I want to talk about the fact that uh, Christina Lagardo Lagarde, I think is a couple years ago said, spend as much as you can, just spend, spend. And so I, I'm like, well, are they trying to get as much, squeeze out of as much out of this as possible and take advantage of all this? And this is what the Ukraine war is and all the money line. I mean, it feels like they're just shipping boatloads there. And then are they using it as a money laundering scheme to get as much out of it, knowing that we're going to go to this other system where we might have a debt jubilee? I seriously doubt that Christine Lagarde is planning on going to this other system. Or no, but why did she that. say? Why did she say spend as much as you can? What? what well, was that's that? that's the same thing Bush said. Remember? Why? When, yeah, it's like just go out and spend. You're fine. Go out and spend because people to stimulate an economy, you people have to spend. Obviously, if they don't spend then producers don't have customers. And okay. Okay, and that makes sense. But is there alternate? Is there alternate agendas here? Like, because why are we sending all this money to Ukraine and so much of it is being stolen? You know, they won't even, Rand Paul was put on a hit list just for even mentioning that he wants the thing to be audited, where this money's going, which is incredible. They put him on the Ukrainian hit list just because he wants the thing to be audited. So obviously there's, there's, there's steal and massive amounts of stealing going on from that. So we have other agendas here. So are they are they trying to get ahead of this? Take as much of the 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 goodies as they possibly can before this goes down. Well, that sounds reasonable. I mean, I imagine that's true. I haven't really looked. I can't say. I, well, I gotta ask I you because it seems like it's pretty obvious. It seems like it's pretty obvious. And then the other thing is, if we go to this, I, I kind of see there's a war, right? There's a war of the the Christine Lagarde's of the world against the bricks of the world, and there's this is what's really going on. It's always some kind of banker's war. It's not really what's happening. They don't care about people on the ground. I'm sorry. They don't care about the people. I They care about controlling the currency and all that. And so, but are they, some people think that they're playing both sides here and that they're really behind the bricks as well. They who, sorry. Uh, that the World Economic Forum and all those guys are be the World Economic oh. Forum seems that they're in bed with China, and so it's it seems plausible that yeah. they're playing both sides here. Yeah, well, I think it's very much like our system. I mean, we the people are certainly not. <laughs> I mean, we we've obviously got people at the top who are manipulating the system behind the scenes. And they're obviously trying to manipulate the Chinese system too. I, I mean, so I've heard they're finagled their way in everywhere. But um, and you could call those the big bang. Well, I'm not sure who. I I won't go there. I don't know. Well, to, but it's it's clear that they're because otherwise, why would China be so tight with the World Health Organization and with the World Economic Forum and with the BRICS if this wasn't I mean, it seems like there's two sides going on here. And so I'm trying to understand from a banking standpoint, are they playing both sides, hedging their bet, trying to keep as much afloat as possible, hedging their bet? There's probably certain players that are going to go down, but they have to be hedging their bet because otherwise, why would there all be all these tight relationships? Yeah. Well, you know, historically, Russia and China have been enemies or you know at least competitors right. 
And so it's not an easy fit, but it is in the sense that we have sort of made them both our enemies and therefore, to, you know, to, <laughs> the We're not being very my smart. enemy is my friend. Yeah. So you think this new BRIC system might be a plausible deal? I've, you're not the only one. I mean, two thirds of the world is moving that way. I even if you don't like it, it might end up being it might inevitable. End up being whether we, yeah, whether we whether like, it or, like not, it or not, because we need them and we, and we need their products. And it clearly, I mean, there's so much research, even just from you know biomimicry. There's so much research showing that cooperative organizations are more efficient than than if you fight each other that's right and then it does it seems well i won't even go there i guess but well and instead of fighting and taking all this money and using it in ukraine couldn't we use it to make ourselves stronger and be better set up so that i mean because we're just throwing all this money away but you're saying yeah. that there is this possibility of a debt jubilee what does that mean if we go to the brick system we could have a debt jubilee what do you mean by that well, um, I don't know. <laughs> they probably wouldn't forgive our, our debts. Um, but that's what they have said to third world countries that, um, you know, if you join, if you join our system, it's not called BRICS anymore. It's called the Eurasian Economic Union that don't worry if you've got debts to the IMF or whatever, you know, we're going to ignore that because you're going to be in a new system and we'll value your currency according you know in this well, no, other that's way important. and you can trade in this other way and that's yeah. important because a lot of these countries feel that they've been bullied and taken advantage of by the imf the world bank systems because they come in get them heavily in debt and i mean there's there's so much research to show that they're getting heavy and then they don't invest back in the country and then the country is now really hosed and so mm -hmm. to, it's almost like they're coming in and saving them yeah yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm just being honest. And so from their yeah. perspective, it might be like, oh my God, we're going to be saved. And then, but I, I don't trust anybody. So that's why I'm, I'm trying to understand what's going on from yeah. their perspective. If you're a country in Africa or something that's in that debt situation that the world bank and the IMF and all these people, I've had whistleblowers on my show and I've had so many people, we've talked about what these they're doing to these countries from their standpoint, this is a, a major better situation. Not necessarily for us, but for them. For them, yeah. Well, and even for us in the sense that we want these countries to be viable That's right. producers. That's right. We don't want to take advantage of people like that. No. Yeah. Okay, well, let, let's talk about the derivatives bubble a little bit more that you talked about, because this is the big deal, right? You were saying that Lehman Brothers really went down because of the derivatives bubble. They blamed yeah, it, it was on. a derivatives bank, and it was not a depository bank. It was an investment bank. So it was part of the shadow banking system. It didn't... It, now it has become a depository bank, but they're really scrambling for deposits. They, they're paying way more interest than... Um, JP Morgan, for example, on their deposits because they're trying to attract depositors. Deposits are their only cheap source of credit right now. That since the Fed has hiked up the rates of hiked up the Fed funds rate to 4.5 to 4.75, and they're it looks like they're going higher. They, they, I mean, Jerome Powell just said, you know, we could be. Some people are saying they could go to 6%, which will absolutely break the system. But it'll break not only the, the shadow banking system, it, it, as you were saying, it's, gonna, it's it'll breaking break our, our system. system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So query whether they really go that high. But the point, but even at 4.75%, that is not cheap. That's not, that's still going to break the banks because they're, they're highly leveraged. So just with their mortgages or whatever they have on their books, they're depending on some source of liquidity to pay to pay the with for the to cover the withdrawals. So it could be the repo market, it could be um, the the Fed discount window, but that's also up to four four point five to four. They're all up there at, at four and a half or more. I mean, even the swap lines I saw was up to four point eight eight percent for the ECB. So it's very expensive. 
except our deposits. My bank is still only paying me 10 cents a month on my deposits. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, so, you don't, it just is not. Yeah, so, it's not. Go ahead. And, and most depositors, you know, it's it's a lot of trouble to move your accounts. You think, well, I probably should do that. And then you think, well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Most people stay in their bank. They've, they've been there for whatever, 20 years or something. So, so that's why the deposits are cheap, but it does seem to me that that is our leverage. We, the people actually have the power with our deposits. It's our money that they are leveraging and all banking depends on leveraging funds. So of course my, my solution always is public banks because I'm Well, but sure. public banks, let's, let's be fair, public banks, because some people are going to say, well, that's just like a communist system or something. But not if you do it really at the at the city levels. This is getting as close to what their founders were talking about, because you need something that's more powerful where we all work together at it. And so if you do it at the city levels, you're getting keeping all of the benefits back as close to the people as possible. It's back to we the people versus these six families or whatever, these institutions that are totally raping us. So this is a way to get back to we the people, which was originally intended, if you get it down to like the city levels. Yeah, and we've got, I mean, you're not gonna get rid of the tax system. I mean, governments have money. What are they gonna do with their money? The choices are put it in Wall Street, which is either going to bail in their funds. They have way more than $250,000. So they're not gonna be covered by FDIC insurance. They think that they're collateralized. Like in California, if you're a bank taking um, state deposits, you have to pay 110%. You have to back them with 110% in collateral, which is you know, very difficult for small banks. And that's one reason they only put their money in JP Morgan or in, you know, in one of those, Wells Fargo or whatever, one of those big banks. But those big banks are not returning the favor to us. They're not reinvesting in our local communities. They are gambling with that money, including derivatives like JP Morgan yeah. has, I think, $55 trillion. No, sorry. <laughs> I always get my trillions. Um, yes, 50, 55, 54 it's trillion. trillion. Yeah, trillion. it's crazy. You have to rethink because it's it, what's it's a thousand thousand million. No, a thousand thousand billion, I think. It's crazy. Yeah, it's hard to even like, fathom what that it's money is. Almost twice what the federal debt is they have in derivatives. Well, the nature of derivatives is the whole system is very interconnected. That's why we had to bail out um, AIG because it's an insurance company, but its form of insurance was these bets that, um, you know, no worries because we've got a derivative that will take your bet on the other side, but you're just passing the risk off to some other player. Well, if that player doesn't have the money, then you can't play, pay this bet because you hedge both ways, you know, that's the way they play. So then that player can't hit pay off its debts. And then, you know, it just goes down like a house of cards, a stack of dominoes or whatever they call it, the domino effect, that's what they're afraid of. And that's why they even gave derivatives and repo super priority in the 2005 bankruptcy law, because they saw that it was gonna be, you know, it was a big systemic risk. If you don't let them have their, their collateral, then those systems are gonna go down and those systems <laughs> will take the, the whole system down. It is a systemic risk. So you have these big banks that are gambling, or do you want to put your money in your own bank that you could do what they do with it? You could leverage it. You know, you could make loans, just create loans on your books, back them with your own deposits and um, invest in your local community, invest in infrastructure, all those things the community needs. I mean, it's, it, we only have one model in the U.S. Yeah. It, instead of going elsewhere, it could stay with you. I'm sorry, you're going to say we have one model in the U.S. Oh, Bank of North Dakota, and it just works brilliantly well. I mean, they've done so much better than they, in 2014, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that said the Bank of North Dakota was more profitable than J.P. Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs. <laughs> they had to like, at that time, well, I think in the last um, 10 years, well, before COVID, they had an average return on inv investment of 20%. 
and it, and it stays in the community, right? But see now exactly. they don't. They but they don't want it. this. I mean, they don't want this because they make so much money and the powers outside of the people and all this stuff. So this is the really getting it back to we the people. But they're you're not totally against cryptos and private currencies and that stuff either, right? I mean, as solutions. Right. Well, we don't, first of all, we don't have any public banks except Bank of North Dakota. So what are you going to do in this immediate crisis? Um, I like the idea of, of course, we have a lot of intentional communities across the country. I mean, I don't have that option. But anyway, if you do have that option, it's a great idea to be in a community that's self-sufficient and you can trade among yourselves with, you can create your own crypto basically backed by, it could be backed by food, could be backed by labor, whatever you want to call it, a labor dollar of a corn dollar, you know, whatever your crop is. And then you can cash those dollars out. So they're backed by commodities, but they're backed by the commodities or labor, goods or services produced by that community. And the community will take them in exchange for that and, you know, do that as a crypto. And there are ways that, you know, they've been doing community currencies for decades and they do have networks. And it works. Of, and, they, and apparently the technology is available to make them um anonymous and you know all those things you want in a currency that can actually be done the technology is still in development for all these different systems but you can see that this if we do have a big crash which looks like we will um you can see where that's going to be a big impetus for developing that those alternatives and i could envision you, know, you could envision something that works globally or at least nationally that was had all those back backup guarantees anyway yes agree but it's Good clean idea. it's not it's not just to take advantage of people it's just a tool for commerce and that yeah. isn't a tool to, to control everybody it's just a healthy tool for commerce so yeah. that we can get rid of all this other crap that's going on but you do know i mean we all know this is coming down we just don't know the timing and so there are solutions right one thing that you said to me um before is that when we're at when we're, when crisis hits the politicians and the, and the people who actually have the decision-making power are more willing to look at other solutions. And these are other good solutions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the problem we've had with public banks. I mean, we've been working at it for 13 years now, but the politicians are reluctant to put their money in even even their own bank, you know, they don't seem to trust themselves. With their own well, money. I think that they're control. I mean, think of the money yeah, and the influence. Exactly. Behind. Yeah. And if you but, take it out of the system, I mean, it's so much better for the people. But how many things have they done that isn't that is at the detriment of the people because they're controlled by bigger powers? I mean, we're seeing that nonstop. Yeah, but in in 1933, uh, they would if if we had a, a gold back dollar, there's no way Congress would agree to take the dollar off the gold standard, unless the whole economy absolutely collapses, and then they start looking around for new ideas, and you know, then they become very much more receptive to innovative ideas. So that's i think the world economic forum is counting on that you know that will accept their you will eat bugs and own nothing and stay in your 15 minute um city and their controlled cbdc currency which we don't want yeah so but it's also our opportunity we have it's our opportunity to change things that's right in a way that serves the people rather than um exploiting the people that's right Okay, how do people follow you? Because your articles are so in-depth and they're enlightening and it's what people need to do. We need to inform ourselves and, and read these. You know, you have great articles. Of, there's other people too, but you should be followed. So where can people follow you? Uh, well, my website's ellenbrown.com and the public banking website is publicbankinginstitute.org. And my articles always, and I have 13 books out there that are available on and, Amazon, et cetera. And that's a web of debt. That's the first time I learned about I 10 years ago, I think it's the first time we did this, I met you. So I've been keeping contact with you. And I I sent you an email a couple months ago saying, where's your article? I want to read another article from you. What the <laughs> heck is going on in this world? And um, but the web of debt, you were you first put out and talked about money was printed out of thin air and everybody thought you were conspiracy theorists at that time. But 
now it's common knowledge. So what you said changed the the understanding of the average person. And that's a that's a big deal. Oh, thanks. Well, I'm, my first my first degree was in English, but I didn't I didn't want, I was actually afraid to speak in public, so I didn't want to be an English teacher. And so I kind of there's nothing else I could do but go to law school. But but I spent ten years before I went to law school um, trying to write books. That's what I wanted to do, and I wanted to write nonfiction on what was really going on in the world. So in other words, other people I only drew on other people's research. But I tried to present it in a way that people could read it because yeah. you know, economics is notoriously obscure, almost like they make it obscure so that we can't understand what they're talking about. It should be simple. So that's yes. what I tried to do was to make it readable. Well, thank you so much, Ellen. You've been just a blessing to 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 everyone, informing people the, oh, the you knowledge. Do. You've done a great job. With <laughs> I have been under attack from all directions, but yes, I try every. You know that's starting to clean up too. I think. I think we're we're gonna get past that because there's a point where they get so far. Things are changing. They're changing so much. Attitudes are changing. Attitudes are changing. People are realizing this is not. We somehow got into the Nazi Germany attitude of shutting everybody's free speech down. To I mean, we got to an extreme, and luckily, I think we reached bottom a while ago, and we're starting to climb back up because it was so bad but the people who did it are still in power and they're still hell-bent on doing it so we got to change that but that's me getting on my soapbox <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. okay well thank you so much alan you have a wonderful day thank you sir bye